Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, Doctor of Education in Human Organization Learning and founder of Amplified Research and Consulting, Dr. Russell Robinson. Hey, what you drink? Well, I tell you, you bring up an incredibly important point in my mind in that I think the, the the managers who get it wrong, and I make the distinction between managers and leaders. I know folks will say, you know, that's if if you talk to uh, Ken Blanchard, he'd say, well, that's that's stupid to make that distinction because management and leadership, same thing. But I make the distinction. The reason I make that distinction is because you manage projects, you manage business, and you lead people. And what I'm hearing you say is that those leaders who are most effective are having conversations with their people that will benefit the people first. So for me, my transition as a leader came from coaching my kids, my, my, my kids' soccer team, U5 to U12. This wasn't a travel team of killers. This was a rec league. Okay. I got these kids and, you know, we'd meet with the parents at the beginning of the season. Okay. Are we trying to win and we play kids based on winning or do we want everybody to play the same amount of time? Okay. They want the kids to play the same amount of time. So my job is how do I take different levels of talent and different interests in this sport? When we were co-ed, maybe U7, U8, I had four girls and three, three, the squad, they were the original squad. Three were soccer players and one was just their girl. Okay. How do I put these differing levels of talent on the field at the same time, make sure everybody gets the right play and communicate with them when you're talking about kids? If you demoralize them, you demoralize. Them. So you, you are really focusing on communication. Everything I learned about that is what I do now. So my best player who I believe is on college scholarship now, that was my best player. And when we played a game, it got to the point where 
Cesar, you know who we're playing. Where do I need you? Coach Russ, uh, their offense is good. You need me to play center mid. Yeah, baby. Yeah, exactly. And when we had a blowout, when we were blowing teams out, I pulled Cesar out. Be like, okay, you coaching the rest of the game. Listen, I'll take care of subs. I will sub everybody in and out. You provide strategy. And I'll let everybody know, you listen to them. I think there's an aspect to, I should have probably said this beforehand. The biggest key for leaders is whether they care about people or not. Hold up, hold up. You need to say that one more time. And you need you need to put a little bit more bass and volume yeah, in your well, voice. Well, well look, here's here's what I'll tell you. So so whenever I, I do uh uh these these speeches, and it'll be let's say, let's say employee voice, there are three reasons why employees don't speak. First, the leaders don't care. They don't care to share power, they don't care to hear the voices, they don't understand how that impacts the bottom line. Number two, futility. Why say anything? It's not gonna change. Three, adverse impact on your career. But whenever people talk about solutions, how do we strengthen culture? How do we build psychological safety? How do we build engagement? Do your leaders care? If your leaders care, this is going to be easy. If your leaders don't care, this is going to be difficult. And then that gets to, you know, that gets to value. So if leaders don't care, this is, that's a really different and difficult leadership model. I've worked for those that did not care. And Patrick Lencioni has a Mm -hmm. book, I forgot the name of it offhand, but it talks about organizational wellness, which says as an organization, you can hit all of your metrics, your stock prices, your profit. And at your core, not be a well organization. Lots of turnover, lots of dysfunction, toxic atmosphere. That's not the five dysfunctions, is it? Five dysfunctions? No, it's not five dysfunctions of a team. That's a really good book for trust in team building. So we use that as the baseline of uh, our, our trust in team building, which really gets to the fact that before you receive trust, you must exhibit trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. So you hear people say, well, I'm not going to do anything to, you know, I'm not going to give them more responsibility until I know I can trust them. It's like, no, give them the responsibility, set them up to succeed. And, and if they don't, then you know, but you have to exhibit trustworthiness. Like, especially when new leaders come in and they don't realize sometimes they're stepping into a situation where there's negative trust. From a data standpoint, that means there's so much evidence of lack of trust. You have to start to flood the organization with evidence of trustworthiness. Oh, wow. So one of the things that you you mentioned, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about it. You you said psychological safety and how that is so important for employees to feel like they, basically what it sounds like, that they feel safe uh, enough to bring their best. Do you find that most organizations have a strong enough foundation of psychological safety? No. And, 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 and there, there's a couple of reasons why one people are promoted based on technical ability, not for the ability to care and to interact with people. My good friend, Dr. Brad Shuck at the university of Louisville has some really great research where he, he interviewed some CEOs in the city of Louisville and they found the biggest driver of engagement was CEO compassion Two. Psychological safety is the new buzzword, kind of like just-in-time training was back when we were back in the day. (laughs) 
And all these consultants are reading this one Google article and now they're experts. So Charles Duhigg in 2016 did an article for New York Times Magazine about why Google was so great. And they found psychological safety. If you look at what's going on with Me Too and George Floyd, maybe wasn't so psychologically safe. But what psychological safety really gets to is every day I make a choice how much of myself I'm going to expose in the workplace. And I've worked jobs where every day is a parade and I'm in flow state. Bring it back to jazz. You know, I, I know, I know when I get my solo, I can go. I can go. I can do my thing. Conversely, I've had I've had jobs where I get to work and sit in the garage for 10 minutes like, okay, you can do this. You can go in there and deal with all this dysfunctional dysfunction you're going to see. And then conversely, I would get home and sit in my driveway like, how do I leave everything I experienced today in this car so I'm not mm. taking it into my into this house? And what it gets to at its core when you break it down is the drivers of uh, or mediators of psychological safety are interpersonal relationships within the group, the culture, the supervisor, and I hired Galen because I want him to be creative and innovative. Looking at his resume, I'm looking at his results, I'm looking at what he does. He can do great stuff, but I micromanage him. Mm. Because I micromanage him, he is going to operate more from a place of fear than creativity. He, when it's time for him to do his solo, he's not going to take long. He's not going to venture off <laughs> too far off the path. What impacts that psychological safety? Um, I like building a voice culture. I have found when people are free to share their thoughts, their experiences in a way where it can be heard, maybe treated fairly and acted on, that creates a place of psychological safety. Mm. Um, and, and here's the deal. You ask anybody, you know, let me, throw the, let me throw the Dr. Russ stuff out. Tell me about the best job you've had. And I guarantee you're probably operating from a place of fear or not feeling valued. Tell me about the best job you've had. And let me throw my Dr. Russ hat back on. When I do this research, I felt valued. I felt valued. I felt I could be creative. I felt confident. The biggest mediator of that is always a direct supervisor. So mm. I don't know. I, you know. I get to rambling when I get rolling no. with this stuff, oh, brother. A absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I did not have the language that I have today, but you know, one of my, I, I would say one of the best leaders I've ever worked for, who's actually going to be on Whiskey Jazz and Leadership is a guy by the name of Joe Cavalier. And Everyone who worked for him felt like we could run through a brick wall if he said what we need is on the other side of that brick wall and we've only got three seconds to get there. And it wasn't because he was threatening, but he was giving us, he would give us the resources, he would give us the air cover, he would give us the training that we needed in order to be successful. And from that, I, I pulled that there are three responsibilities of of a leader i want to play this for you so that you can you can reinforce or you can buttress this where it needs to be 
I believe that leaders really only do three things and three things only. The first thing that they do, not necessarily the most important, but the first thing that they do is they paint a very clear picture of what winning looks like. They cast a vision of this is what it looks like when we get to the promised land. This is what we're trying to do. Only the leader can do that. And by leader, I'm not necessarily talking about the person at the head of the of the org chart, but they paint a very clear picture of what winning looks like. Number two, they identify and remove barriers that might inhibit your ability to get to that promised line. So whether those barriers are access to resources, access to training, access to information, the right people, whatever the, those barriers might be, they identify those barriers ideally ahead of time and they put some, they put some reinforcement in place to help you navigate uh, around those barriers. And then the third thing, and a lot of people say that this might be the most important thing, I, I'm not really ready to put a priority on it yet, is they inspire people to want to get on board with achieving that goal. Back to your, your original definition of leadership, that it has to be through other people. There is a place for compliance. Military, in a lot of situations, operate based on compliance. Moving up the org chart uh, rewards you with a certain degree of freedom from insubordination. But at best, you're only going to get what you asked for. <laughs> if you're operating from compliance, fear, command and control. My task as a leader should be, how do I get Dr. Russ to not only give me what I'm asking for, but give me the things that I didn't know that I even needed? How do I get him to think beyond where I am and help me paint an even better picture of what success might look like, to help me identify even more barriers that I didn't know were there, and then help me inspire other people in the organization to achieve the goal. Now help me with that. Put some put some Dr. Russ on. Yeah. So so one of my favorite bosses, John Shuhart, had three things. He was a, a chief financial officer when I worked in the intelligence community. And he's actually uh one of my executive coaches now. He had three things also. <laughs> uh a leader has to do three things. Uh stay out of your way and allow you to create kick down doors for you. Kick down doors is your removing barriers. Top cover very gets, gets to Maslow protection. Stay out of your way to create. I'm hiring you for your expertise. Now you, you brought up some good stuff and, and I paraphrase yours into inspire uh, removing barriers and provide clarity. And I probably struggled with this. I probably struggled with that first one early in my leadership career, not providing clarity or setting the target. The challenge for me, honestly, was I was new as a new leader. I allowed myself to get in the mindset of coming in every day to put out fires. And, and I had, and I remember um, my boss at the time, he got detailed to another division for, for like six months. And I was, I was put in charge and he and I would, would have lunch periodically and we were having lunch and he's like, you're doing great. And I said, no, nah, I'm not. I said, I'm fooling people. I said, we're a championship team when you run the shop. We're a playoff team when I run the shop. And then as we got to talking, he's like, so, so what's, what's your plan every day? And I just threw up my hands like, man, I just come in and just put out fires. And he said, whoa, I said, that's the problem. The fires are never going to go away. 
So you think one day there aren't going to be fires. There's always going to be fires. And the better you do, the more fires you create, the worse you do, the more fires you create. There are different types of fires. But he said, listen, you got to find five to six hours a week where you sit down and you're strategic Mm. about identifying where we are going for providing top cover. I remember I started at a job. I was doing program management. We had a culture where the customer was always right. Mm. And, you know, sometimes that ain't the best thing. And we had a difficult customer who I felt was being disrespectful to the staff. So, you know, and this is literally, I think, my second week. And I was like, well, you know, I'm new here. Looked at my staff like, tell her I'd like to speak to her, the customer. So I called the customer. Customer is like, yeah, I'm glad you're here. You know, he, she started naming specific people. I don't think so-and-so knows what she's doing. The reports she provides me are wrong. I sent her email. She doesn't respond. And I'm, you know, okay, look, I'm here to provide you, make sure you have an optimum customer experience. You'll, you'll talk to her about it. I said, well, I will, but I need data. So could you do me a favor? Forward me the last couple email threads where she hadn't responded. And if you could send me a couple of the reports she, she gave you that was wrong. And well, I'm too busy, but, and this went on for like 10 minutes. And I said, look, I'm trying to help you, but there's no foundation for what you're saying. And it started to get a little heated. So I closed my door and I said, let me, let me be clear. Don't ever call her again. If you got something to deal with here, call me. I'll make myself available and you and I will talk, but you are to not ever call her again. And if you do, you'll have to deal with me. And she was like, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, no, tell me. She's like, I'm a customer. And I said, no, you're a rude customer. And she said, who's your supervisor? She heard some clicking and then a bang. And I said, look, I just sent my supervisor an email that said, you're going to call him because you're not happy with my customer service. And then I went, my supervisor was a little Russell. And I said, man, let me explain something. This isn't even about right and wrong. This is about protecting our employees. And if we don't protect our employees, the best case scenario is that employee quits that day. But when we protect our employees, and I went and talked to the person and I said, hey, look, I promised this lady we'd have a report for her on Monday. I need you. I said, let me, let me be clear. This report has to be pristine. I want you to work on it tomorrow. And then we're going to get together next day and we're going to chop it up. And when we chopped it up, we, we made some moves, but I was very clear to the employee. I said, now, let me be clear. We have not changed the content of your report at all. We have shifted how it's the order so it presents and tells a better story. Man, at that point, that woman would do whatever we wanted. But when you know you are not protected mm-hmm. and your manager will feed you to the wolves, that's not good. That's not good. Uh, you know, that reminds me of a challenge that one of my mentors gave me, he would constantly come in and say, Galen, do you know what business you're in? And I was a new leader. I was a new manager. And I'd say, yeah, you know, my, I'm in the beverage, I'm in the beverage business. He said, no, you're not, you're not in the beverage business. Do you know what business you're in? I said, well, I'm in the business of, of making sure that we deliver our plan, right? I've committed a, a business plan to you. I'm in the business of making sure I deliver my business plan. He said, no, Galen, that is not the business you're in. Do you know what business you're in? 
And so finally he walked me down this path and he must have he must have gotten tired of this conversation not going in the right direction. He finally said, Galen, you've got salespeople that sell. Their job is to deliver the business plan. Your job is to point them in the right direction, <laughs> make sure they have everything that they need in order to get there. They are your business. You are in the business of leading your team. Your team is in the business of delivering results. And that just, I, that has never, ever left me. And I wonder if leaders today, if managers today truly understand the business that they're in. So I would, I would go back to so many leaders, like how are leaders identified? You are probably a technical expert. And now you're tasked to do a new job. And then it gets to how do organizations develop that leadership talent? And I think a lot of times, if you just send people out there, and now let's get back to the vulnerability, we're just getting to the point where lead, within the past five, six years, where leaders can be vulnerable and say, well, I don't know the answer or don't know the right way which is, well, Galen, uh, I'm putting together a playlist on Miles Davis, and maybe I don't know anything about the trumpet. I just Googled Miles Davis and then may act on it. Or maybe I'll say, I'm thinking Miles Davis. Is there anybody else out there? Who are the trumpet players our competition is using? You know, there, there are ways you can do this. Now, it all gets to how you've built and developed trust. It all gets to whether something is futile or not. But what I found, I mean, it goes back, I, it goes back to sports. Um, you talk to any coach or a scout troop leader or someone who leads a team. When you got talent and they're empowered, you're not doing a whole lot of coaching. You're not doing a whole lot of managing. Those cats or, or basketball. When the locker room polices itself, that's great as a coach. Now I can just focus on strategy. X and O's, I've got a culture built. I've got the talent. I've got the right amount of leaders I've identified. The leader amongst the group has risen up that mm -hmm. they respect. When you don't have that, man, you got to do a lot. Work really hard. Work really hard. You got really to. Really yeah. So so if you if you put the work in, if you build it and you empower people, and you mentioned something earlier, one of the mistakes I made was I would ask people, where do you want to go? And then I would start to give them work along that road. So I had somebody who, we had an organizational development and leadership shop, but my money person wanted to be a PMP. So I started to give her stuff. I never told her why I was giving it to her. And finally, she pulled me aside. She's like, I love working for you. I trust you. I don't know why you're giving me this work. And the reason why was I was preparing her for the next level, but I wasn't taking the time to provide her clarity mm -hmm. for why I was giving her new stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you care about people, you'll understand it a little more than someone who doesn't care about people. I think that that is absolutely core to this leadership thing. It is virtually impossible to lead effectively if you don't care about people. You might be able to manage 
the outputs. You might be able to deliver a business plan, but the things you have to do, the kinds of conversations that you have to have in order to build that kind of empowerment and that, that kind of trust that you've talked about already, it has to come from a place of really caring about the people on my team or the people in my organization. It's hard to fake it. <laughs> you just can't fake it. So, so when you do that, there are various ways you can lead. You can be command and control. You can be a leader that cares. You can be uh, a leader through legitimacy. This is my title. You're going to do what I say. And what I tell people is you're going to need to have all those tools in your box. I love employee voice. In a crisis, short-term crisis, taking the time to get how you feel is not efficient. I need you to do this right away. But if you built that care, if you built that trust, if you build that rapport, they will understand the context of the order. While we're in this standpoint, there are different types of leadership models. And I don't really say bad leadership models. Some have different upsides and different, they all have different upsides and different downsides. But the data are clear when you have leaders who care who can be compassionate and they know how to connect with people. Every outcome from an individual to organizational standpoint is attainable. If you look at where we are now, uh, Gen Zs and millennials, based on where we've been the past 16 plus months, they want to work for companies that have corporate social responsibility. There are some who will tell you that takes us away from the bottom line but you know, Galen, the companies that do it well are through the roof. So I talked to this guy, great guy uh, named Ryan McGrory, who is the employee engagement guy for UE Insurance in Queensland, Australia. And literally first month of the pandemic, the CEO comes to the employees, hey, nobody's losing their job. We know what our values are. Second month of the pandemic, he goes out to the customers. It's a pandemic. Nobody's driving. We're cutting your rates. All of your measures, they got more business off of that. Their engagement score was the highest it's ever been. Retention, you know, as we talk about this return to work, organizations are talking about retention is going to be high. Their retention is high as it's ever been. So by making a value-based call, that most people think would take you away from the money, they ended up getting more money, improve their brand, and strengthen their culture. You know, I mean, there is research after research that says that exact same thing that bears out what you just said. You just, mm -hmm. you just, you just cited one, one example. But yet leaders, I see businesses continue to have this narrow view on the impact of leadership and the impact. And it keeps coming back to one of my cornerstone preaching points is that leadership is largely about courage. Do you have the courage to do what you believe is right, regardless of the short-term impact that it might have? And for me, whenever I notice companies that are caught in a scandal that are you know whatever the issue might be for me it there is a failure in the courage of that leader somewhere there's a failure in leadership courage how does that stack up with 
what you found in the organizations that you've talked to, the leaders that you've talked to, the research that you've seen, wh what role does courage play? Well, courage is the ability to speak truth to power, to do what is morally right. That comes up against short-term gains, short-term goals, achieving results. <laughs> That, let's go back to the first part of leadership defini definition. How are you set up to succeed? Political atmosphere we're in right now, a president can't come in with any long-term goals. You know, so, so bringing it back to business, for me, it goes back to value. It goes to values, okay? What are the values of our organization? Do we have short-term goals or are we in it for the long game? Mm -hmm. So Simon Sinek, talks about Microsoft and Apple. And he's literally like, you go speak at Microsoft and their whole goal is to beat Apple. You go speak to Apple and their goal is to change lives. Short-term versus long-term. That gets to process. Now, I had someone explain it to me from an employee engagement standpoint, and he did it from a medical analogy. And he said, Russ, I'm for this engagement. I want to change the culture. That's long-term wellness. I need my scores to go up this year. That's a prescription. <laughs> Any way you can give me both. And when he phrased it like that, I was like, okay, because this dude is a champion, but if he don't hit the short-term goal, he could be replaced by somebody who's not a champion. So for then for me, we said, here's the long-term goal. Here's how we can do some stuff timed specifically so we can get some of those short-term results you want. But that's the challenge, and it really gets to the values of who we are, you know, the values of the organization. Are those values practiced, or are they just espoused? It's difficult. If you're a coach, professional sports team, well, you don't have four or five years if you don't produce by year, if you don't get me in the playoffs year two or three. Mid-season sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The turnover has gotten greater from a change management standpoint. And all of this is change management. Any change you have, let me put it back in a work role. From a training standpoint, we get new leadership. Okay, which direction are we going? Hopefully HR is in that conversation. And what I say is, well, okay, for whatever change you want, we mentioned AI and robotics. We've got some staff. We're like, I got it and I'm good. We got some other staff. I really like to do this. I'm going to need some training. I'm not there, but I'm going to need some training. We got some staff that'll tell you the days of the clerk typist will never end. I'm going to be clerked. So you have to have a plan for all three. And it goes back to what you said earlier when you're talking about barriers. Are you going to put the resources on, on it? So for me, from a training standpoint, okay, we got new values. Cool. Customer service is a value. Cool. We need to develop training so that every employee knows what the standard is and we need to have ongoing training so it's part of our culture. I said what, what customer service is, everybody's going to do it. Leadership by proclamation. <laughs> it is leadership by proclamation. It's not understanding change management, which means anytime you have a change. So research says there's three reasons why change management issues fail. Number three, the inability to address and mitigate resistance. Number two, your thing, resources. I like this change, 
do you realize I'm going to need 10 more FTEs to get it done? <laughs> well, we're not going to give the FTEs, get it done. And the number one is the leaders can't model the 2B behavior. Mm-hmm. Since we're talking about resources, every change you have to identify, here's the resources needed. There's going to be a gap. We need to do some analysis, some form of gap analysis. All right, how do we close that gap? Um, do we retrain people to do different stuff? Do we find eloquent ways to sunset people? either through early retirement or whatever, do we provide training so that everybody understands what customer service is? Because for some people, customer service is the customer's always right. For some people, it's we respond promptly to customers. For some people, customer service is just upselling. We don't care whether they're happy. Did you upsell them? (laughs) One of my mentors who passed away actually uh, last year, last part of last year, he uh, famously said, the customer is not always right. However, the customer is always the customer. I keep hearing that in this conversation with you, that there is a line (laughs) that you have to draw, particularly if you're the leader, in that the customer may not always be right, and usually they're not, (laughs) but they are still the customer, and you've got to treat them as such. And it depends on, do you know the business that you're in? Right, right. Do you know the business you're in? My grandkids, because I'm grandpa, I don't wear hip Air Max. I wear grandpa Adidas. So I ordered some Adidas and I ordered them in the wrong size. Within five minutes online, I had returned them, printed out a shipping label, and then I just had to box it up and take it to FedEx. Soon as FedEx scanned it, I got an email. We've received your package. We're going to send out the replacement. I didn't have any interaction with the person. They've trained me that as an employee, as a customer, I can do this on my own. Conversely, CVS, I had to call them about a prescription while I was watching a soccer match and had the phone on hold and realized I've been on hold for an hour and a half. (laughs) So I literally drove to the CVS like three miles away. I've got my phone with me on hold and, you know, waited in line, got everything taken care of. And I say, hey, I've been on hold for two hours. The airlines are like, we'll call you back. <laughs> so it really gets to how you prepare your employees. Yeah. This has been an absolute treat. This has been a masterclass discussion. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Because, uh, like I said, you know, when we first met, you would take everything that I was thinking about and you'd add like 15 more levels to that. And you've, and you've done that in this conversation as well. We're going to have to continue this conversation over in our VIP room. But for those who have not upgraded to the VIP, you know, what final words do you have to share with them about leadership, about jazz, about the marriage between the two, Uh, what, What final thoughts do you have? That's a great question. I was listening to a podcast with Questlove from The Root. So it's not exactly jazz. And they opened for uh, U2. No, it wasn't U2, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So they're opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers and they're in Milan. And what they notice is after about three or four songs, the Chili Peppers just all get in a circle. And he asks, I think Flea afterwards, like, hey, we all going over to set or anything? And he was like, nah, man, we're just appreciating each other. We're just some brothers from LA and now we're playing in Milan. So Questlove tells him about, tells this to his manager. 
And at the time, he's like, yeah, you wouldn't understand that because y'all hate each other. <laughs> and Questlove was like, once he understood, the manager went on to explain, like, you all make the music individually. There's competition. But once he realized that that nurturing aspect of the band, they became a better band. And now they're getting more of what they want. So mm-hmm. I think from a musical standpoint, there's... Like Lencioni, you can hit your metrics and your mark and not be well. But when you are a well organization or a well band or a well group or a well team with talent and leadership and empowerment and clear goals and resources and having barriers removed, man, you can you can do anything. Man, that is perfect. That might have been too long. No, that was perfect. That we was give perfect. Them, do we give them too much free? Should they have oh, been in the God. VIP room for that? <laughs> <laughs> they need to come to the VIP room. But like, yeah, because if not, I could be like, eat more chicken. Just put that up there, and then we'll save the rest for the VIP room. All right. Well, hey, I'm I'm gonna let's let's cheers. Let's toast out. Yes, sir. And uh, until next time, cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.